0: From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger.
1: I'm Mia Wagner.
0: And I'm Michael Makowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom COVID-19. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are excited to talk with Sam Nitz, partner at Fireside Campaigns in Washington, D.C. Sam has worked at every level of campaigns, starting as a field organizer in Madison and running his own consultant management company in the nation's capital. We'll ask Sam to give us more insight into what his company does and how students who may be interested in this career path might go about it later in the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sam. Great, thanks for having me, Al. Uh, we can kind of start broadly and about your start. When you were in school at the university, uh, what major did you choose? And when you were thinking about your career, can you just speak to that at all?
2: Sure. So um, I I think I first kind of like a, a sense of like political work, political stuff um, growing up in Janesville. I was involved in a program called Youth in Government, which is run by the YMCA, and I was I was really involved in that, and uh, was elected Youth Governor of Wisconsin in 1998, and got to come to D.C. to like uh, meet President Clinton, and we met Justice Scalia, and and a bunch of other great people. Um, I I just didn't know political consulting was a thing that that, that you could do. So when I when I started at UW, I started out as a chemical engineer because I was always really good at science, but then I was really bad at programming. Um, and so I was like, hmm, this is not for me, but uh, I, I was a boy scout and uh, worked at a camp for several years as the ecology nature director. And I was like, well, forestry seems really interesting and I could do that. I would could spend a lot of time outdoors. So uh, you know, I started doing that, and and through the Boy Scouts, which I was uh, a, a part of at the time, I I worked in the Boundary Waters of Minnesota as a canoe guide and trail repair foreman, and loved it. It was great. Loved working, doing all that. But also, I was a, roughly a half an hour from the nearest movie theater, and two hours from uh, Virginia, Minnesota, like the Quad Cities of Minnesota. Just like the like the, was the closest mall and other like center of culture up there and I kind of realized that this was not where I wanted to live for the rest of my life out just out in the woods kind of by myself as a forestry person so uh, after that I just really doubled down on, on doing political stuff and and I had already taken a lot of pol- political science department classes so I, I added that on to my forestry major Um, And yeah, started internships, started volunteering on campaigns, and, you know, eventually, I guess, ended up here.
3: Um, So you mentioned that you were a field organizer in Wisconsin. Um, Could you maybe tell us about your interest, how you got involved with field organizing specifically, and some of the different career paths that your former field organizers and folks, you know, ended up pursuing in the last several years?
2: Sure. Um... You know, I think it's so much of it is because field organizing and organizing in general is just very much the entry job into campaigns. It really exposes you to all the different sides of a campaign in, in some way or another. You know, just communicating with, with voters or with citizens, um, depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, figuring out what different messages you'd be using, the different strategies and tactics you'd be using. Uh as well as like honestly like public public speaking, um adapting to challenges on the fly. Uh you, you just see kind of the whole big picture and then it it's almost a choose your own adventure after that to to figure out where you want to go next. You know, I I gravitated more towards the data and and media side of things, but you know, I have folks, I have friends, so my best friends are you know, are communications directors, communications professionals going to the management side so you know really focusing more on the people management the big picture the budget stuff and you know honestly you can also stick with field there are you know, moving up in those management ranks rather than a solely campaign manage, manager role the, all the, all these jobs exist and i think that being a a field organizer just really exposes you to those things um, you know if you continue in campaign or political work i think another thing that people will always ask you or you'll find lots of connections with others is their first field job and i I think that's a really big bonus to folks coming into this space Uh, not just for the connections but having that that joint experience that that all field organizers have i'll also be honest doing field will prepare you for a ton of challenges in your own life like if there's an emergency or if there's like a big event. Like, I want field organizers to help me organize it. Like, I've been at a ton of weddings of former uh, field folk and other, like, colleagues, professionals I have worked with. And, like, you know, if it starts raining or, you know, something goes out, like, the field people are all, or the people who've done field in the past are always the first ones to be like, okay, here's how we fix it. So, like, I think that's another, like, great skill, skill set to have as you, as you move forward in life.
3: Yeah, I think like, just from my experience being a field organizer so far, and Mia can probably agree, you're kind of a jack of all trades in a little bit of a way. Um, But I know, and maybe you can talk to this a little bit, you mentioned it. I have some friends who are field organizers that are concerned that there's not a bridge out from the campaign work. Mm. Um, So I guess my question is, is field organizing and is working in the field sort of just a young person's job? Um, how much of being a field organizer can you turn around and translate into doing something like working in policy
2: or working in data mm. as you did? Well, you know, I think that the, the ball is kind of in every person's hand. You know, you have to be the one to advocate for yourself and for the interest in those different pieces. You know, if you hear someone talking about the data, you know, off, you know offer to, to be another set of helping hands or have someone explain it to you. Um, you know, if you're interested in the polling, you know, ask the campaign manager or whoever's dealing with the pollster. Like, hey, can I see the poll? Could somebody explain this to me? And and I think that really what you'll find is that people are in the campaign world, like, are are generally super willing to do that. Um, and if they aren't, like, well, I don't want to be friends with them. But like, that's how that's how we all learned. You know, I think that there's is certainly a very conceptual piece of politics and power and relationships that you will learn. Um, academically at UW Madison but the actual in practice I think is can be very different or at least also seem intimidating at least that's how it did to me but really if you just ask people are really willing to give in, in the political space and really to educate because I think we've all again I think both the shared experience of being an FO a field organizer but also the shared experience of knowing that we don't know things and and we all learn we all learn somehow and you know just asking questions and, and figuring out your own path i think is the best way
1: thank you for that um that was super helpful and also encouraging to hear um as someone who is starting in field <laughs> so we're going to shift over to the work you do at fireside so if you mm-hmm. could just give us a little bit of background um, on Fireside Campaigns and then also tell us about what a typical work day is like, maybe before the pandemic and then also now. <laughs>
2: um, so Fireside Campaigns is a is a political and, and advocacy consulting firm. I, I literally just joined as a partner at the beginning of this month. So I will, I will do my best, although I, I've been working with them and they're some of my closest friends uh, in, in the world. So we really have three practices. Uh, one is a communications uh, practice, so working with organizations and campaigns really to streamline and focus their their message, their earned media, um, their relationship with reporters, and just everything that's external-facing um, to to different audiences. Uh, also, crisis communications, but uh, you know, hopefully, there's an you know, organization won't have a crisis to, you'd have to deal with. Um, The second part is digital fundraising as well as digital paid media. And, you know, that is really focused on, you know, building lists, building growth, uh, especially at the low, low dollar level. And then also getting that, you know, getting any of the messages from our clients out, you know, through Facebook, through display ads, um, through, uh, through sponsored content, just lots and lots of different uh, pieces. And then, uh, the work that I do is is a lot of program management and uh, digital analytics re- uh, research. So, uh, the program management really comes from my time at Emily's List when I was the deputy independent expenditure director, which is the, the the side of of Emily's List that spends a lot of money on ads to get pro-choice Democratic women elected to office, and just you know again overseeing the budget, um, working with all the consultants, managing our staff internally. And so really kind of coming in to other organizations or, or, you know, helping other consultants with projects like that. So really just overseeing programs and moving the ball forward. Uh, the other work that I do is, um, yeah, data analytics stuff, which is like kind of a catch-all term. Uh, so, you know, quantitative research, whether it's, you know, looking at past voter turnout or past voter behavior, or it's looking at experimental research um you know i I know that a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the professors at uw Madison do it i've communicated had to communicate with them several times uh, I think barry burden and and David Cannon, I think are the specific ones i mostly interacted with and then uh, uh you know implementing all that research or or for lack of a better term cutting lists so you know for the program that we are running, you know whether it's persuasion. Uh, turnout, registration work, uh, mobilization, uh, list growth, et cetera. W- you know who are the people that we need to talk to about this and and how can we find that find the right people to talk to with the right message at the right time? so let's say of all the work that we do, um, which is kind of like in all these different fields, but we really see it as as a holistic practice. you know how we communicate a message will impact who we talk to and, and, you know, what kind of response we can, we can see from them. So it's, it's not really one, it's not siloed. It's all part of the same, same machine. Uh, in terms of the day to day, I, you know, before joining Fireside uh, and, and after leaving Emily's List, I worked from home for two and a half years before getting into an office last November. So um, this is pretty regular for me. Uh, <laughs> I think the only thing that has really changed is I do a lot of work in the voting rights space and you know obviously um you know a lot of a lot of things have shifted uh, about the way that we are understanding policies and the way that we are talking about them um you know I a lot of work that I do now has shifted to vote by mail policy and and what that looks like and and the I think the big answer is that we don't know a lot of what we don't know um there's a lot of states like there's Oregon and there's Washington and California and Colorado that have had long time vote by mail uh, where everyone gets it or just a very hot big culture of vote by mail. Uh, but Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and, and lots of other states just don't have those cultures for, for a variety of reasons. And so how does that change what you do? How does that change the outcomes? And and right now the answer is we we honestly really don't know a lot of that, but we're 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 trying to figure that out, trying to figure out what are the best tactics, what are the best strategies, and, and what outcomes are produced. So I think I've just had to focus a lot more on that these days. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it changes. I think the one thing that I have learned from working uh at home before and and certainly now is having a routine is so important. Um, you know. Get get to your office or work at the same time every day. Shut it down if you can at the same time every day. Have a specific area for working. And, you know, don't, I, I can't sit on my couch because I would just want to like watch TV or play video games. Um, you know, don't work in bed because bed is for sleep and there's the thing called sleep hygiene. And, you know, if you don't do it, then you might have a hard time falling asleep. Um, so really, just carve out routines and spaces um, for yourself, and I think that that really, really helps. Um, I mean, a lot more Zoom calls, which like are fine, but I'm also I think a lot of myself and my colleagues are finding ourselves like, could asking ourselves, could we just do this over phone so we don't have to like do the performance of Zoom, which is uh, which is really nice.
3: That's an interesting phrase. I haven't really thought about that. The performance of Zoom, how it's like uniquely exhausting compared to a phone call sometimes.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I have allergies and because of COVID, like, I, if I have to sneeze, I generally, like, turn off my camera because I don't want people to see me yeah. sneezing and thinking that I might somehow be sick. and I know it's, like, so in my head, but I also, it's just something that I feel like I have to do. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, and honestly, like, staring at a screen the whole time when I could be and trust me, my clients know this if they listen to this, is if I'm on a call, like, I could be doing dishes. I could be, like, doing chores around the house. I could be folding laundry and still paying attention, but on a Zoom, I have to be so focused in the present and staring at people Mm -hmm. that sometimes I actually get more distracted by that than by, like, doing some of these, like, repetitive tasks.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I actually have a follow-up question before we move on to sort of like a different set of questions. It's about how you mentioned you didn't really know that political consultancy was like a career path you would enter into or like knew was out there as an undergrad, but you entered your current job with like quite an impressive resume already. I'm wondering, is this job, like is consulting um something that people typically come to after they've had like sort of Mm. Experiences out there in the political world, or is that something that undergrads now or people graduating
2: now can sort of look at and start to venture in? I mean, it's a good question, I, and I think that there are different answers for different people and in different sectors. Um, you know, I think in general, the the political work you really need to have an understanding of the relationships and the players, and um, you know, kind of all that stuff, just to for for the the understanding of what goes on. And that's not to say that you couldn't, you know, start at a, at a consulting firm and work your way up, but really all of this work is really based on relationships and building relationships somehow, one way or another. And you're going to get clients because of those relationships. And and the way you do that is by working at, or I mean, usually do it, like this is not the true for everyone, but it is by working on campaigns and at organizations and, and, you know, kind of learning the day-to-day work, you know, uh, you know all the different people, and really building that trust, um, you know, not just in yourself and not just with uh, the people you are directly working with, but the campaign manager, the, the other consultants on the call. And, you know, building that up so that when you do go on your own, people trust you to not just, uh, you know, produce a good product, but to produce a timely product. Um, you know, there's lots of people who start in campaigns, but who just end up uh, getting burnt out because of the time, which is totally understandable, but also because they aren't reliable workers. And, you know, one thing that you usually need to do as a business owner is be responsive to your customers. And if, you know, you're not working nine to five or nine to six and doing being on the calls and doing all that work, then no one's going to hire you either. So I think it's it's all those things wrapped in one. And you, it, it's hard to, I think, get that network experience and, and reputation, frankly, um, just by working at a consulting firm. But it can be done, 100%.
0: Kind of shifting now to a little bit different line of questioning. Um, earlier, you had mentioned you... Uh, did a lot of work with the Boy Scouts that influenced you in your career and what you wanted to do. Um, were there any other things you did outside the classroom that helped you on the job market uh, like that, like anything that inspired you? Uh, just organizations or activities or internships.
2: You know, volunteering. Uh, you know, I volunteered, I think my first campaign volunteering was in 2000 on then then Representative Baldwin's uh, first reelect and being a, um, a I think it was dorm captain uh, was the title down in uh, the Kronzig, uh area. Um, so it was like my first Croncidge Mac. It's my, it's my building. Um, and then, you know, kind of like just keeping involved and keeping volunteering. Uh, you know, I think that one of the things that was really helpful was my uh, internship placement with uh, or via the uh, the Department of Political Science. I don't, I don't know if, the, if that program still exists for me; it's a different name. But I was able to get an internship in the office of then Governor Jim Doyle uh, in scheduling. And uh, actually, the woman who is who who was my supervisor and, and worked for the governor is is still a very close friend. And she's recruited me to boards, and we help each other with clients, and so that you know, and, and lots of other things um that has really been helpful throughout the years. Um I don't know, I had a jo- I I worked at Went Library making making photocopies and just kind of like tried to stay involved in a, in a lot of different ways. Um I wasn't really involved with um college dems or or any of that. Um I don't know, I was just too busy doing the other things but yeah, uh I think all of it is really just, in a weird way, it's like it was learning how to build networks of people to to rely on and to and to uh, communicate with when you know I, I made these different career steps uh, along the way.
3: So when we're talking about entering the job market for undergrads now and folks who just graduated what advice do you have for students to sort of distinguish themselves from other graduates, especially people looking at jobs in DC from other top universities in the country, like Ivy Leagues, um, for example?
2: Um, You know, I, in some ways, I think it goes back to like the, you have to be your own campaign manager for your life. Like use, use your networks, like use the alumni network, like ask for copies. You know, if you don't know someone, and if the person you're having a coffee with doesn't know someone, ask them if they know someone who who knows someone. You know, is as much as like DC is is vast and big, it is also a very small town. So chances are that someone will know something. Um, I think the other thing, and and this is honest because like I got asked this multiple times on on different campaigns or for interviews, was just put like interesting things about yourself. Like I would get asked about my my degree in forest ecology and how that actually applies to the work I'm doing now, just because people were like, who are you? Like w- forestry, what is this? So like, what other like fun fact can you pull out? Or like being a gay Eagle Scout, like yes, people wanna talk about that. Figure out those other like interesting things because they won't know that unless you tell them, right? So, like, you also have to do a little bit of performance, and you have to, like, kind of be this, like, you don't think you're interesting, but you have lived an interesting life, and everyone has. You just have to figure out those things. Oh, uh, I think the other thing is um, I look for people who have had customer-facing jobs. So, you know, I, I think this goes back to field, but it's also, like, were you, were you a server or a bartender at, at a restaurant or a bar? Did you work at a grocery store, like as a a clerk or something like that, because that tells me like one, um, you know, you've worked in like fairly like, I think we would call like high pressure situations where you're dealing with lots of strangers and there's lots of like built-in expectations. But then also like, you can, like I can put you in front of a stranger. Like I can send you like out to knock on a door or, you know, something like that and know that you'll you'll understand like what having an interaction with a stranger in like in a professional setting is like so those are like a lot of and, and frankly like, it's hard work like being being a waiter being a waitress being a server being a bartender is all like very physically and mentally taxing work and if you know if you've had that experience then I know that you can take a lot of pressure frankly and that's something that, that I look for um I think you know I I think those are really good ways to differentiate yourself. Like I, I not to say that all all degrees and and all universities are the same. However, like a lot of the education, you know, the mater- the materials the same. So figuring out other ways to distinguish yourself whether it's academically or personally, I think are really the key things that to do. Be interesting, have a personality. Like do that.
3: And one one final follow up on a less interesting note but it's a hot topic on twitter and for folks who are entering the job market what's what's a cover letter and like is that actually
2: important um i love reading cover letters i like i i know that a lot of people think that it's like bullshit i don't know if i can swear on this um but you know that's that is a place where you have an opportunity to tell the person hiring about you like not just about you but also like you've done your research like talk about the company talk about their past clients talk about you know you know any of the partners are hiring people um tell the weird story about um you know whatever happened the time that you knocked on a door and a dog ran out to chase you right like i think cover letters are a really great place to get across your personality and and kind of the things that are a little bit more personal to you i love when people share like really cool and fun and interesting stories and cover letters and that makes me more interested in them as a person and will make it worse more likely to get an interview
3: well that's good to hear great advice but
2: but personalize it to the job like i've seen so many like generic cover letters and like no absolutely not like you got you got the you got my name wrong like it's not even like close to sam it's Mm -hmm. like steve or bob like You were just like sending spaghetti at the wall and like, great, and I hope something sticks for you. It's just not going to be me.
1: Um, Along the lines of kind of entering the job market and getting into the right spot, um, students often ask what skill sets they need to develop. Um, For example, like statistics, Excel, um, certain programs. Is there anything that you look for that you like um, your candidates to have experience in?
2: You know... (laughs) Despite being in like data analytics, I'm like not good at like SQL or R or SPSS or you know any of those things. Um, so oftentimes that's something that I'm looking for, like a, a skill set that will, would would complica- uh, complement complement mine. Um, I think Excel is or or Google Sheets, I any mean kind of spreadsheet stuff. Like it's so versatile, and I think that it, it's really Really useful in so many different types of, of, of work. So, you know, whether it's, you know, doing your standard like statistics package or stuff like that, um, but also, you know, budget management and cash flow are, are two super important skills. Um, I learned knowing how to do those in Excel, I think, are really important and like kind of show you that you've done some extra work and That you might be you you are interested in management because management is often dealing with the money pieces, Um, you know. Excel also you can visualize stuff pretty easily, and and you know those visualizations, whether it's a really pretty table or a graph or you know whatever, can really convey uh, concepts and ideas um, way more effectively than uh, written words can. So I think just having a broad sense of Excel is good. Yeah and I you know I think you know the other th- the last thing is like just networking like I'm people tell me that I'm really good at networking but when I talk to strangers I still feel it still feels weird to me to like come up to someone uh at you know at a at a reception or a party or something like that and to just have to automatically like talk about you know something but really the key is be interested in them. And that's how you're gonna be networking. That's that's like that's how networking works. Like just talk about them, what they're doing. Like I I, I viewed it for so long. And I still do some people. I some people do this as like a transactional thing, but it's not. I, I'm trying to build a relationship. I'm trying to just be interested in what you are doing and see if there's what are the interests, what are the things that we can get to know about each other. Um you know, and and through that you make, you know, really to make really lifelong friendships, um, you know, business partnerships. And also like, I've met a bunch of people who were at UW you know, Madison at the same time as me and we didn't know it, um, but who are our colleagues of mine, uh Courtney Seeloff and Louise Rothschild and, and Peter Albright, like we all found out like, oh, yeah. And like, oh, maybe we had some of the same friends, we're at the same parties together. So like it all, I think all of that just, you know, be interested in other people. And I think that will take you really far.
1: All right, so we'd love to hear some of your advice about navigating communication, especially in um, the pandemic. So some people don't do well with phone calls or emails. Um, Is there a general consensus that people that you've worked with have come to for the best way to communicate? And how do you suggest interacting over virtual platforms? You spoke a little bit to this. Um, and how does that, like, kind of differ than your interactions in person?
2: I mean, I think that, you know, I don't know if there's a general consensus, um, but maybe that's just because I'm, like, super data analytically minded. And so, like, i like, is this generalizable or not? I don't know. Um, you know, I think that... Yeah, you know, at least among my my friends and my colleagues, a lot of us are often just referring to do the phone uh, the phone calls so that like we don't have to uh, look at each other and all that, or like go on go on Zoom. And but those like are just different from from interaction to interaction. So I don't know if there's any like consensus there. Unfortunately, I honestly just don't know. Like I just I'm I'm hiring for a position right now, and I've done all my interviews. Uh, over the phone um, both you know because I preferred it that way and also I, I I'm just worried that um, there's some weird like intimidation between a potential hire and, uh, and, a, and a potential employer when you're doing over video that you know there are you know um, unconscious bias clues and some other things that just might, happen over video that just do not happen over an an audio-only medium. I might be wrong, and and I'm very happy to admit that, but just something that I've I've tried to be a little bit conscious of. Um, You know, in terms of being comfortable with one or the other, you know, I think if you're going to be, I think not just getting into political work, but probably a lot of other work in industries that are a little bit more national or international or at least interstate, like you just have to get used to doing a lot of work uh, remotely. Um, you know, I've worked in, I've done work or or had uh, uh, engaged in lots of campaigns in different states that I've honestly never been to and or or have only recently been to and you do that by by phone calls, By zooms and you you really just have to get comfortable with it. Um, Yeah, I think that one one tip I would give if you're if you're leading a call or if you get worried, is that um, don't don't be scared of silence on the on the phone. Um, You know, I that just means that that's an opportunity either for you to say something or or to see to to gauge thoughts more or or to move forward. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, professional fundraisers and, and Emily's List and, and, you know, other folks teach candidates when they're running w- or, or raising money um, over the phone, which is, you know, make your ask and then be quiet. Like, get comfortable in that silence and wait for someone else to respond. And it, you'll get some, you know, you'll get some interesting responses and answers uh, that way, too, I think, as, as people are trying to be a little bit more thoughtful and, and not rushing through things.
0: Kind of turning again to more of a global view, especially as students are entering the workforce. Um, odds are that we're obviously headed into a global recession. How do you expect a recession to impact the job market now, especially regarding government jobs?
2: Um, you know, I. I'll be honest, I think it's hard for me to talk about government jobs. Yeah, I, or I, I, maybe
0: consulting jobs like in yeah. the industry.
2: Um, you know, I, I think it, it, it's almost a TBD. Um, yeah. You know, watching the stock market I think will give some good indications of, of where things are going. Um, you know, as, as much as I think that, you know, getting a lot of big money out of, out of candidate political work is, is a good thing. I think there's always going to be spaces for donors um, in uh, in more advocacy work, and I think that those are probably going to be hit uh, harder faster if if there's more volatility in the stock market and in the housing market. So I you know I would just say kind of pay attention to those things. You know, once once things are volatile and there's less certainty, then donors are less willing to um, open the pocketbooks and. Uh, like I said, I think that goes, that's true for, you know, I I was on the board of a an LGBT, national LGBTQ organization, and I know that, you know, those organizations often get hit. But I think the truth is uh, for lots of other nonprofits, um, C3s, C4s, and, and other kind of advocacy organizations. Um, you know, political stuff is, uh, it's, it's harder to say. I mean, you know, a lot of campaign jobs are until November or December anyway. So I think that just in ge- just in general, I think for a campaign job is always prepare um, to not have that job and to not have that source of income. So make sure that you're, you're saving money away no matter what the, the, the economic uh, situation is because especially I think after your first your first cycle and maybe your second cycle, it's, it can be really hard to find um, that next job in, in political work. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, um, one of my, one of the things that I learned in my career is take a job. Like it doesn't have to be your dream job. It doesn't have to be necessarily in politics, but like have an income and then look for, you know, but keep looking for that next job. You do not, and I think this is true, especially early on in your career is that you do not owe your employer, uh, that loyalty if it comes at the expense of, of your personal growth and your personal physical or mental health. So, you know, campaign is over. You're, you know, you're very lucky and you're getting paid through the end of 2020. Fantastic. Start looking for that job, uh, you know, the day after election day. And you know, even if it's not the best, like just hold out and, and wait till, you know, you get something better, better comes along. I, I did that several times. So, uh, uh and I think it's fairly standard practice, or at least it should be because uh you know it, when you're starting your career you need to find and explore new some things
0: yeah those are that's a, those are all excellent points um i especially like like you don't owe your employer anything, I definitely think that um is an excellent point um one last question kind of before we wrap up mm-hmm. um So a lot of people, students and professionals are finding it hard to be motivated and undistracted when completing work at home. Um, What are some of your strategies for staying focused or staying like in the zone?
2: Um, I mean, I'm certainly struggling with this too. Um, You know, allow yourself breaks. You don't have to be productive or you know, quote unquote productive all the time. Uh, like yesterday in between calls I think on some calls like I I roasted some tomatoes and made like some tomato jam Um, I'll you know I'll pop out and go on like 30 minute 30 to 40 minute bike rides around DC like just some like quick short trails Um, you know back you know this this is from before (laughs) um, before COVID when I was working from home but you know the the walking to the grocery store uh and, and back, you know, if you can do that safely now uh in COVID, I think that's good. Maybe not every day, but you know, once a week and have that being kind of your trip uh uh trip I think is good. But you know, just get the the physical exercise is is generally good. Um and so I don't know those are kind of the things. Otherwise like I, I think I said some of these before, but like have your dedicated spaces. Like, the minute, like, and this is not true for everyone, this is what works for me. Like, I need my two monitors and I can't do that on my couch. Plus, again, the video games and Netflix and now HBO Max. Like, all the Harry Potter movies are now on HBO Max. I just found that out this morning. So, like, just keep those dedicated spaces. Keep that dedicated routine of, like, starting and stopping. Um, You know, I, I want to I would like to sometimes sit down on my computer on the weekend and probably do some, like, mundane, like, taxes or even, like, more exciting, like, vacation planning for eventually. But, you know, just sitting down is just, like, I think there's both, like, conscious and unconscious triggers that I'm at work, and that's maybe not the greatest thing. Um I don't know. I'm watching, I'll be honest, like I'm watching lots of travel videos and planning dream vacations for once this is over. So I think that's a lot of what's just keeping me productive, I suppose, but also like just, just sane. Um, You know, uh, lots of Rick Steves. Uh, I was
3: literally about to say Rick Steves stock is probably soaring.
2: Oh, right now. 100%. Uh, <laughs> I'm also realizing how like he has some really subversive... Uh, a messaging about like the the benefits of socialism in his yes. um in his like I think the last time like I really was more into Rick Steve was like in my foreign language classes in high school and middle school so like watching now mm-hmm. I'm like oh wow this is amazing
3: um he gets political he actually came to Madison and gave a talk about like the politics of traveling which is
2: interesting yeah,
3: he went to like Iran anyways
2: um <laughs> I don't know. So those are, those are some things that I don't know. I have a, I have like a little balcony garden in my condo. Just find like small things that you really, you can enjoy doing. And that you have like some modicum of control over. And I like it, in this time where you don't have a lot of control. And I think that that is, can be really helpful for, for a lot of people to stay productive in lots of different areas of your life.
3: But thanks so much for talking to us, Sam. We really yeah. appreciated it. Um, hearing your insight and your experience. And we hope that you uh, can stay connected with the department and that one day we can all gather again in person (laughs) and uh, maybe even shake hands. But thanks so much, Sam.
0: For more information regarding the podcast, please visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu.
3: You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow and subscribe.
0: Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other.